This is Mike Levitt, a co-founder of the Accountable Care Learning Collaborative. Our nation is faced with two very important, but sometimes competing priorities. We have a duty to provide the best possible health care for every patient, but we must also remain competitive in a global marketplace. That's what value-based care is all about. Our challenge is to create a uniquely American system of health care. Truly, we're in a race to make value work. Welcome to the Race to Value, a weekly podcast hosted by Dr. Eric Weaver and Daniel Chipping of the Accountable Care Learning Collaborative. The ACLC is a nonprofit organization focused on accelerating industry readiness for success in value. With its competency-based framework for health value, the ACLC is working with healthcare organizations all over the country to create the workforce of tomorrow. Come join Eric and Daniel as they engage the executives, clinicians, and entrepreneurs who are leading this race to value. Race to Value listeners, this week we have a bonus episode to discuss with subject matter expert Dr. Tom Davis about the new direct contracting model. The new direct contracting model from CMMI provides a powerful opportunity for advancing the U.S. healthcare system towards more value-based care. And here at the ACLC, we've been having a lot of conversations with many of you about What are the opportunities here and how does this change impact our organization? In particular, physician practices are really considering the opportunity and there's a multitude of different ways where they can collaborate with some of the 53 direct contracting entities which have been selected by CMMI to participate in this great new model. So this week, we're going to have a a brief conversation about direct contracting with Dr. Tom Davis and hopefully answer some of these important questions as you look to collaborate and really build uh, new risk-bearing entities that are really going to focus on transforming outcomes for your patient population. So, Tom, I thought we'd go ahead and have a brief Q&A around this. How does that sound? It sounds great, Eric. Nice to be here. Well, it's great to have you. And, you know, I thought, Tom, the first thing I just wanted to ask you, like, what are these direct contracting entities and how did they come about? Well, these direct contracting entities, or DCEs, as CMS says, they're arrangements between CMS and applying contractor in which the contractor assumes, to some degree, the financial responsibility for the cost of covered services for Medicare beneficiaries. They were created to address the stagnation in the geographic coverage of CMS's other shared risk compensation program, Medicare Advantage. And while Medicare Advantage enrollment is indeed growing, the geographical breadth of the program is not meeting CMS's expectations. So after a lot of deliberation, CMS created this DCE arrangement for that purpose. Now, there's a spectrum of risk assumption arrangements through these direct contracting entities. And with the change of administration, CMS actually suspended processing most new applications into the program. 
So there is only a fixed amount, Eric, there's 51, 53, depending how you count, of these contracting arrangements that have been created. And really, there's no expectation now that there's going to be any new applications approved until uh, contract year 2024, at least as of this recording. Dr. Davis, let's jump into another question, which is, where is all this interest suddenly coming from healthcare organizations in DC East? Well, there are actually two types of groups that applied and got approval to become DCEs. One are organizations who already have a healthcare delivery infrastructure. These are Village MDs, the Oak Street Healths of the world, several other healthcare systems. They already have their, their delivery system up in place supporting their Medicare Advantage organizations. And so that represents one type of a group that have supplied for DCEs. The other type of group were organizations that were a combination of uh, venture capital firms and industry leaders who've kind of gotten together and applied to create these arrangements without that uh, direct contracting infrastructure in place. I call those aggregators as opposed to the ones that already have the delivery organization because these newly organized kind of venture capital-backed firms, they're looking for provider bandwidth in order to execute their business model. And if you look at that group, the aggregators, the ones that are a combination of industry leaders backed by investment, investment capital, there's really actually two subtypes of those. There's one that are looking as part of their business plan to use DCEs to amp up the, or increase the market in their information technology services. Uh, analytics is a huge part of uh, trying to be successful under these programs. And basically what they're doing is they're trying to expand the market for their services. And that's kind of one subtype of this investor type of DCE arrangement. The other type are the folks that are run by industry experts, and they're looking to use the arrangement purely to create uh, networks uh, where they can generate revenue through exclusively through care delivery. And both of these subtypes are right now out looking for the best practices and the best health systems that fit with their goals underneath these DCE arrangements. And that is why most of the listeners here, I'm certain, have gotten at least an email, if not an outreach call from somebody cold calling them saying, hey, you know, we have a DCE contract. Are you interested in engaging with us? And most times the response is, what? What's a DCE contract? Why are you calling me? Leave me alone. And that's one of the reasons why uh, we're having this discussion today to inform people about what this opportunity is because it's, it's incredible. Well, Dr. Davis, you mentioned how a lot of groups that are experienced in Medicare Advantage risk and taking global capitation in senior lives type models, they're going to be positioned for success. And there's other groups, though, that may be less advanced on the continuum, and they are being approached by some of these aggregators around opportunities to advance and collaborate in, in these new models. I wanted to ask you, what are the potential benefits to organizations that are considering getting into direct contracting? Well, it used to be that becoming a value-based care organization was a long journey. After experimenting with different pathways, about 10 or 12 years ago, the government came up with starting folks kind of on a basic shared savings, vanilla, accountable care arrangement, and then creating additional steps where that organization could slowly increase their share of the shared savings and then begin to accept some downside financial responsibility for their performance, all the way to Medicare Advantage, where you could potentially accept 100% of the financial impact, good and bad, of your care decisions. 
And that was a slog. Usually it takes three, five, seven years in order to make that journey. And most people, most organizations dropped out. With these direct contracting entities, really that has, has really accelerated that journey. So the organization that has a DCE, we'll, we'll just call it ACME, just in general with ACME, these, this, this organization is a DCE. They now have an arrangement with CMS in which the DCE itself is fully responsible for the financial care costs of the beneficiaries that are going to be attributed to it. So this organization now is looking around and, and it has a very, very broad set of opportunities in order to execute that charge from CMS. So if you are an organization that's just getting started with uh, uh, value-based care and you're looking at a, at a simple shared savings arrangement, you can get a shared savings arrangement through these DCEs at far more favorable terms than you could ever get it through CMS. And you see similar uh, experiences all the way up the value chain. Now, every one of these DCEs has its own set of rules that it's willing to work by and set of relationships that it's willing to engage in, but they are all highly motivated to begin to aggregate providers under their umbrella. And so most are very willing to be very flexible and create gain-sharing or risk-sharing relationships that play to the specific organization strength. They are far less hamstrung by the strict rules than CMS is because their charge from CMS is simply uh, under their engagement is to cover the costs of their beneficiaries. The nice part about this for these, especially the private organizations, is when you as a private practitioner sell your organization to someone else, it's not worth very much because you're the company. You might get some hand-waving for some goodwill and some hard assets, but really it's only a fraction of what you brought in on any given year. Once you start generating value-based care revenue on a recurrent basis, it actually gets categorized by the practice valuators as annual recurring revenue. And if you were to buy a grocery store or a gas station, the person that was going to uh, appraise it would look at how much it made each year and then appraise it at approximately a multiple of that, five, seven, nine, depending on the situation. So under value-based care, suddenly you have created a, a new asset that will greatly improve or that can greatly improve the value of your practice. So if you bring in a million dollars a year in annual recurring revenue under your value-based care contract, suddenly your practice is worth three, five, seven million dollars just from that revenue stream. And for those in private practice, it's an enormous benefit. And that's one of the things that happened to us in my practice when uh, we got into value-based care very early. And that's one of the reasons why the valuation that we were able to merge for was so high. It was simply because part of our valuation was a multiple of our value-based care contract revenue. That happens. That's just the way practices are valued. And engaging with DCEs allows you to kind of have a shortcut to that ownership model in which the clinician takes ownership takes responsibility in some fashion to some degree of a panel of patients. And the revenue that you generate from that ownership is going to be figured into your, the value of your organization if and when the time comes to sell. And the key word there, Eric, is shortcut. This is a way to cut years off your journey, but it's something that probably won't be available for very long. Dr. Davis, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned the flexibility that DCs offer, and I'm just curious about the unique opportunities that providers have for actually implementing 
or better addressing and influencing social determinants of health within a DCE? And then a further question is, is there a competitive disadvantage for not participating in a DCE? Well, those are both great questions. See, the nice part is, is that these DCEs are pure value-based care. There's no indirect measurement of value. Value is, dis- is defined by here's how much you have to spend minus how much you actually spent. The amount that's left over, positive or negative, is the amount of value that you generate. So myself as a clinician, I would be tasked to take care of a population of, say, a 1,000 Medicare patients that were attributed to me in some fashion or another. And really, within the bounds of ethical and legal behavior, and the CMS and the DCEs, they don't really care how I do it. They just want it done. And so that allows me to innovate right there at the point of care in my small little micro community, those care paths, those tactics, strategies, innovations that will most effectively limit the costs. And that kind of sense of autonomy and and the ability to master your environment and your, your sense of mission, I personally experienced when I started doing this at the very beginning of the program 30 years ago, is incredibly powerful and very, very satisfying. And that's really the biggest benefit of these value-based care programs is they're going to keep clinicians in the game for a lot longer time. If you don't do this, especially if you are viewed as a center of cost, if you're primarily an inpatient provider or you're a specialist who is not interested in providing primary care services, if you decide not to do this, what's going to happen is that you will be increasingly treated as a vendor, as a greater percentage of the patient population is aggregated under these value-based care contracts, either Medicare Advantage or DCEs you're going to be seen as a center of cost. You're going to be seen as a vendor and you are going to be treated accordingly. You will be beaten down on costs. You will be threatened with losing access to a population of patients. It's going to be very much analogous to what Walmart does to its suppliers. I mean, they pound them down on a penny. And if you don't agree to cut by a penny, then you don't get to work in Walmart. You don't get to market in Walmart. So for these organizations that are business model or centers of cost, that is the fate that awaits you unless You can ally yourself with a primary care population or ally yourself with these uh, DC entities to assume some sort of ownership arrangement of the patient populations. Because if you're going to be a center of cost, you might as well be a center of cost for something that you own rather than for something someone else owns. Well, Dr. Davis, I think this message is so important, and I know a lot of our listeners out there are at this juncture where they have to make some decisions and their value journey and how to proceed in this new direct contracting model and partner with organizations that are going to help them move up the risk continuum. You've certainly done an incredible amount of work in value-based care in your career, and we look forward to having you on the podcast at a later time to, to talk about your own value journey. But as we wrap up our conversation today, if there's a maybe some parting thoughts that you can provide our listeners if they are in conversations around joining a DCE with a prospective suitor, what types of questions should they be asking around evaluating the opportunity? And then if you could also provide maybe your contact information in case some of our listeners want to uh, reach out and and ask you some more questions about how they should be uh, thinking about this new opportunity. Well, Eric, we included uh, a number of questions uh, associated with this podcast, but the first thing you have to do if your organization, my advice is to listen. Just listen to what they say, because this is literally a once in a generation opportunity. These folks have a DCE contracts 
There's no new DCE arrangements in the foreseeable future. And this is the first year there and they really want to aggregate providers. So you'll never ever get the relationships and the arrangements in as beneficial a fashion as you will today. And in you know, kind of a very, very, very general hand-waving fashion, in general, if you have 5,000 covered lives that are reasonably provided for, you could be leaving 50, that's five zero million million on the table in a total risk arrangement. And that's the amount of revenue that you'll be given up in a year if you don't just listen to these folks. The other issue is, is that most people, these DCEs operate on a ticking clock because of government calendar regulations, and everybody's familiar with the deadlines. And typically when someone says that something's available for limited time only, it's really a red flag. I mean, nobody uses scarcity to, to sell a good product. But every once in a while, and the business folks out there who are listening understand this, every once in a while, ticking clock is real. And don't discount these opportunities just because there's a ticking clock. And to the clinicians out there, just remember, as you make these arrangements, if you make them through your IPA or through an ACO or through an outside organization, the more layers there are between you and the DCE, the less revenue there's going to be for you to take home. That's unfortunate for two reasons. One, as the clinician, you're the one generating the value. So you should be the first person on the list in order to get revenue. But the second thing is, is that the less incentivized you are as a clinician to do what needs to be done, then the less well you're going to do it and the less revenue the whole thing is going to generate. These DCEs are a rare opportunity for you to contract directly with them without having to worry about the size of your practice, the size of your footprint. This is just a very rare opportunity. So when they reach out to you, just listen to what they have to say. I personally, I have no dog in this hunt other than having practiced as a family physician for 18 years under my own total risk contracting arrangements. I, my partners and I created our own health system, uh, which we subsequently sold uh, for more money than a family practitioner should ever have. My mission here is to evangelize for this model because those 18 years practicing as a small town family doctor enriched me in ways that I never thought possible. It was everything I wanted to be as a family physician. And I looked forward every morning to getting into work because it was just wonderful. And seeing what's going on out there in the workforce now, my personal mission going forward is to help folks enjoy that same level of, of satisfaction. So you can connect with me at Tom at TomDavisConsulting.com. I provide advisory services, mentorship services, expertise, undervalue-based care. I can be your own personal value officer. But if you take nothing else from this talk today, it's just to when they come talking to you, listen to what they have to say. And if it sounds good, don't be afraid to move because sometimes situation dictates it. Well, Dr. Tom Davis, you're doing great work in evangelizing the importance of value-based healthcare. Thank you so much for joining us for this very special episode of The Race to Value. Thank you, Eric. 